This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Welcome to a fresh new episode of Higher Ed Heroes. My name is Seb. And my name's Al. Our podcast is about transformative moments in the classroom. We believe that these moments when we bring our classrooms to life can often be achieved by making small changes that are easy to adopt. And that's our focus. Small things communicated in simple ways by teachers who know that these practices make a difference in their classroom. So our hope is that you might be able to reflect and even feel inspired to think about whether these might work for your own students. And we know that our listeners are busy and that they're time poor. So we always want to communicate these small lessons in a jargon-free way, which is why we have the teaching jargon buzzer. No, no, no! We hit this when we hear those buzzwords that might be more at home in a teaching committee or a faculty meeting. So, who are our guests today, Seb? The plural is correct. We have guests. So, Elle, I'm very excited. Our guests today are Shakira Moss and Russell Richards. Shakira is a former high school teacher and now works as a principal learning designer at UQ's Sustainable Minerals Institute. Russell is a senior lecturer at UQ's business school. As an attentive listener, you will be wondering what brings Shakira and Russell together. The answer is simple. It's their passion for educational board games, digital escape rooms and online scenario games, which they not only integrate into their courses, but which they also design themselves. And so, I should add, they created, on top of that, a meeting group called the Serious Game Society. Shakira and Russell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's start in simple ways. What is it that got you into using games in your classroom? Let's start with you, Shakira. Okay. I had an academic actually approach me um, having issues with teamwork, getting the students to talk to each other, a lot of non-English speaking students, so they're having difficulty learning the subject material and We came up with a board game and it's worked perfectly. Um, They were engaged, they enjoyed having the activity, something different in the classroom. The result was when they actually played the game, a fire alarm went off. They did not want to leave the board game. They wanted to grab the board game and take it outside. So (laughs) I think that measures impact. They loved it, they enjoyed it and they wanted more. So a fire alarm, clearly a clear indicator here. That's right. Russell, how about you? I sort of go back to my youth in, my, in the 80s, where I wanted to play or like playing video games. And then you sort of fast forward to where I am now, where I'm not so young anymore. Stood at the front of the classroom, looking at students, doing my best to tell them and instruct them and seeing a sort of a, a glazed look on their faces and reflecting, thinking there must be a better way to do that. I mean, I would be bored if I was listening to me. I always feel that games are inspiring. I, I, they're just good fun. I thought, well, maybe that's what we, we should be aiming for. Something that's entertainment, but learning is at the same time. Because of my strong background, I guess, in, in developing games, and I, I like coding, I've coded since the 1980s, I thought, well, maybe I can draw upon this. There seems to be a space for that. Around sort of about five years ago, the university was talking about using cases as a more experiential way to learn. But they were very much paper-based, and I thought, we can do a lot better than that. You know, this is a digital generation. Why don't we use video games? Now, people have got smartphones, people playing phones, you know, games on their phone. Let's, let's, let's harness that. So that was really where I would sort of drew upon to do that. One of the things that we always get when we have good guests on is the sense of authenticity. You draw on what you love, coding, games, 
Shakira, you said that you, you invented the board game but you must have had a passion for board games to find yourself oh, there. I've got a, I've got a very, very big cupboard at home with a lot of board games and I play board games with the family, although I seem to be the target, the one that they always gang up on. But I've loved board games and I've kind of just moved that into the classroom and where we can look at what material they're meant to be learning um, in the subject and then we can apply a little bit of fun into it something nice when you bring all those kind of tropes from the family and jokes and your experience into the classroom. And there's all these, I guess, these cues you don't see in a group, um, especially when they're playing in a board game. There's a little bit of deception. There's um, a bit of strategy. Some people might help people. Some are very competitive. And you see that in a board game uh, when they're playing and, and a sense of they're so immersed in it that you could have a clown walk in the in the room and they wouldn't notice it. I would love to get a couple of ideas of how that, what that looks like. So tell us maybe one example, each of you, starting with you, Russell, of like what kind of game students would be doing in your course. I'm the, the coder, the video game developer um, in, our, in our group, I guess. The Lobster game is the one I developed. It's a, it is a video game. It's very much, I guess, based somewhat or draws inspiration from SimCity. Um, so there's very much an isometric, very graphical animations. The animations don't actually matter, but it's it, it sort of looks like a video game. And so what you see is you see this 3D environment that incorporates where the, the, the crayfish or the lobsters come from, uh, the supply chain. And so you get to make decisions. You get to pull these levers within the game, press buttons, if you like, and try to make as much money as you can and try to sort of create a sustainable game. I'm going to confess that I've used video games and board games in a disaster management class and the the video game I used was also a SimCity style but it was developed by the United Nations uh, and the idea was that you built the resilience of a local village through the same kind of clicking through. Yeah, there's a lot of inspiration from SimCity. Uh, it's, there's sort of a loop there or a link that it, without getting into specifics, a lot of what the people who developed SimCity, particularly Will Wright, who's, who was the inventor basically, he's using techniques that I'm teaching in the classroom, but it's not explicit in the game, but it, there's a really nice sort of symbiosis there. Shakira, how about you? So one of the games I've been working on is about stakeholders and stakeholder engagement. Um, I seem to have a running theme with all my games. They all have sustainability in their name. So this one is Sustainable Tourism. We've got Sustainable Mine and one I did with Russell's Sustainable Sip. So these games, all the two of these games are about stakeholders and the students understanding different perspectives. So they might be playing a role that they might be uncomfortable with and having to understand they have to make a decision um, from the perspective of that person and then make a decision that will impact others. So they need to really think about their decisions. The game itself modelled off Catan, so we've got uh, hexagon shapes that they're putting and designing a little island on a table. So they spend a couple of minutes doing that and placing things where they should be and then they get into the actual decision making of the game and they really, really enjoy it. And, and we've modelled that into a mining game now, very similar to the tourism game. 
it just seems to be working. So we might produce more sustainable games from that particular model. But I just have to thank Catan, which is one of my favourite games, because <laughs> the modelling of that and the designing and the way that you can design islands and design places it just works brilliantly in that environment. It's a, it's a role-playing set of decisions, yes. really, isn't it? Yes, it is, mm. yes. Obviously, different types of games, different kinds of uh, classes and courses, but... What is it about board games that you think helps students learn and perhaps learn differently? Or where do you see the benefit of gaming as a source of learning as opposed to how we normally would teach students? Uh, I guess the question was very friendly on board games and I don't have the board game experience, but Shakira is leading me through that, so those woods. Shakira talked about Sustainable Sip. That's a game, that's our first attempt to sort of build a hybrid board game, video game. Uh, and that's very much about the board game, for my mind, is providing a sort of a physical space, things that the students can grab hold of and move and exchange, and then using the video technology to provide that sort of, you know, where you've got to make really complicated, maybe, equations in the background for whatever reason. They can handle that stuff. The students that don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. I don't want to worry about that. The board game, I think, is nice because, you know, they're, they're playing together and there's real energy it's inherently multiplayer and that to me brings in a lot of sort of unusual outcomes because they'll start to make their own rules that you didn't even think about. The board game almost becomes a, a conduit for this creative thinking from students that we, you would never, you know, if I stood at the front and went blah, 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 they'd go, oh, when, when do we finish? I think that um, students learn off other students. So if they're having to make a decision and they don't know what to do, they'll ask someone or if they're having to be competitive and it's normally not their nature, some of them, it's it's something new to them and, and they tend to put on these different roles. It's, it's very much role-playing. A board game is role-playing and you're role-playing within the setting that you're in. So whatever the backstory is, you could be in space, you could be running a coffee shop like Sustainable Sip, you could be in a sustainable island in a mine underground there's a sense of getting immersed in there and then trying to work out how are we going to get out. And you can put in things like time constraints, so there's pressure, disruption, where something that they didn't plan happened and they've got to put on their survivor um, hat and work out how to get out of there. Rolling the dice is normally a good indicator of working out a disruption. And when we played Russell's game, we had um, a couple of disruptions in there and just just seeing and, and being able to experiment in a game. It's everything safe. A game's safe. So if you want to explode the board game, you can because nothing's really going to happen. So you can experiment, you can fail as much as you want in a board game. What I'd like to ask about is something that you mentioned earlier, which is the slight difference between board game and video game. You mentioned the synthesis of the two there's something quite magical about a board game because it's tactile. You pick up the dice, you throw it, you move it around and you might not necessarily always get that when you're video gaming on a screen. Do you see those differences playing out? Definitely. I mean, um, when we did Sustainable Sip, we had a banker. We had money getting exchanged, pieces of that represented rubbish from the cups and um, rolling a dice. So there were these elements where people were touching things and exchanging things. And they liked it because they felt like they owned something. And using um, a hybrid model, like the one that we've used, you can still have your video game, but you still need to touch things. And and when we do these games and we ask people, oh, can we take some of these elements out or should we keep them? 
majority of the time they're saying, you know, keep the money, keep keep this because we like touching it. So there's a sense, and even building an island with hexacom pieces, that it's kind of bringing you back to childhood and Lego and spending time creating something first before you play. And originally that wasn't even part of the game. It just happened. So we're like, okay, you can spend five minutes creating the island and we've just added that into the instruction manual. Yeah, and does that, with the videos help with that adapt of bringing things in a little bit more real time? Is that where they yeah, come into play? Yeah, it, it was really... It was odd for me to see because I am very much a video game person uh, and seeing how people were so engaged with these physical parts of a game and what I really like to see some of these, these games is they, that the people playing the game start to make their own rules that you didn't even think about. And I think that's to me is an element of your you've actually moved beyond maybe the initial aims of just trying to get people to play the game where they take ownership of the game. Uh, the one thing I like about the video game which I, I, I think is often missed maybe is that the video game becomes this great place to store data. One of the, the really good aspects of using a video game is its ability to store data, digital data. So when you play a physical game, you know there's interesting things going on. How do you capture that information? Because ultimately we are trying to learn it is a, as a learning tool. Having the video game as a supplement or as a complement, it allows you to, to use that data and take that data away and have a look at it from a sort of purely academic view, I guess. But, you know, there's, that's great information. And that actually brings me to my next question. That is, okay, your students are playing these games, but then you as teachers need to do some heavy lifting afterwards, right? You, you don't just sort of let them leave the room. It's now teasing out the learning effects and making them understand. I would be curious to hear how you do that. So with Sustainable Island, the students play the game and we do a debrief about what actually occurred and what happened when they played the game. But ultimately, we would like that to be a part of their assessment so they can create another hexagon piece to be added to that game where they're making the choices and they know the mechanics of how the game works so they can add in everything they've learnt in that particular subject. So this is about tourism and all the people that are on that island and then working out, okay, let's make up my own scenario or what's going to happen that island and how will that impact? So I'm going to put a plus, minus, whatever as a variables and then work out how to make a game myself. I think that is the impact because we're taking something that they've learnt and then we're adding on some critical thinking on top of that and then we're creating it into some kind of assessment piece where they can add to the game and ultimately expand it and we can have expansion packs. Wow, yeah. so you, that's that's an assessment, an expansion yes. of the game? Yes. That's really cool. And, and, and they do the work. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That's tremendous. Russell, how about you? Yeah, so, I mean, my lobster game is my example. Uh, and I, as I said before, I got that into an assessment last year. So that was really my the forefront of how I assessed its ability to, I guess, leverage understanding of my students. I was then reflective upon how they, they use that tool. I, I call it a tool, but it's a game. In terms of a formal, like a reflective piece that Shakira talked about or some sort of survey, I haven't got to that stage yet. I haven't looked at the data that to me is really where I want to go with this, is how do we further legitimise? How, how do we know that these work? I think I know in my heart of heart that they work really well and the students enjoy it, but at some stage you really have to legitimise it because I guess if I want to publish from it and I... I'm sorry. For the last time... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was me doing that. But if I do want to do something with this information, I do have to legitimise it through surveys or whatever else. But 
from an intuitive level, I, I can see it works. And I see that when it comes out on their assessment, which is just fantastic. So we have to ask outside of the classroom, there is this thing called, it's not an oxymoron, I'm sure it makes sense, the Serious Games Society. What's it all about? Uh, it's a way for Shakira and I to meet some of our passions in terms of board games and video games <laughs> and make it appear like we're doing something sensible <laughs> and serious. Uh, but really, we developed the society because we felt like there was, there was a gap for people who are interested in using games. It's a fragmented society or community in terms of who, who is interested in using these things. So we wanted to create like a collective or a safe space where people could come with any ideas. If they don't, if they don't know what to do, that's how they find out. That's where they get information about doing that. So they can ask me and Shakira, who are maybe more, I guess, advanced in doing these things, particularly as a video gamer or as a board gamer. Yeah, every month we have this group that meets up and, and Russell and I don't know how many people are going to turn up. Sometimes we think two, but most of the time it's 10 or more. And it's expanded um, out into this big community. We know people worldwide that want to join. We talk to people. We talk on Zoom other universities and we've created this wonderful community um, not only in higher education but people who actually create board games as a living and they uh, create video games as a living people who research games so we've created this wonderful community and it just keeps on expanding and we keep on adding ourselves to other communities so yeah it's been amazing serious game society and it just keeps on getting better it's a wonderful resource. I wish I had it. I used those games years ago and I just couldn't quite develop them into the curriculum and I left them behind. But it would have been great to have some support to think, what's the next step for me? But uh, maybe I'll bring them back and dust them off. You know where to go now. Yes, exactly. Many of our listeners are, are looking for small changes, things that they can do quite easily. They might not have coding experience. They might not how to know how to design a game. They might have never played a board game before, but they can do something uh, that reflects the spirit of what you're talking about. What, what advice would you give to somebody who says, yeah, I want to play a game in a classroom, but I don't have Russell and Shakira's experience? What what can they do? What's the first step they can do? What what easy thing can they, they, they implement? I'm going to use an example. A colleague of mine used a game which basically incorporated marshmallows, spaghetti, string and tape and she challenged the students to build the biggest structure you could based on these items and the winner was the person who had the marshmallow at the highest level on a freestanding structure and that was (laughs) just fantastic and this was just she'd gone to the supermarket the day before but this is a game this is a serious game and it really engaged the students to the point where I felt like the students were unaware of anything else going on at that time they worked throughout the break this is a two hour class they worked really well it was very early on so they were really engaged they were talking to one another they started to make their own rules to the point where we had say only a, a few bits of sellotape and they would come and steal it because we, we hadn't said you can't steal it so they were making their own rules which I thought was awesome and at the end they got to eat the marshmallow so they enjoyed that as well <laughs> simple game yeah. excellent I'm going to draw on an example I used when I was actually doing my teaching degree and we used potatoes and toothpicks. It was cheap, easy and we had to create a science lesson using the potato and toothpicks and we came up with little games where we had to create a lesson and they, yeah, we used the 
potato and toothpicks and you can be as creative as, as you want if you have a knife and just go to the supermarket yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy yeah but you need to watch out for sweet stuff because you you tend to eat it as opposed to a potato the key <laughs> message is with very simple tools doesn't have to be a fully developed video game it doesn't have to be a fully developed board game you can add gamification to learning and I think that speaks so wonderfully from both of you in here mm. yeah. it's been wonderful to have you on here if you as a listener heard anything that you liked or you would like to engage further with us you can always contact us through our social media channels thanks for joining us in Higher Ed Heroes and as always we look forward to your company again yeah.